0: Good morning, everyone. I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name's Neil Davidson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel, and I'm going to have the pleasure of bringing the word today. Somebody told me this morning it looks like I'm bringing a fire extinguisher up here. I am not planning on self-combusting this morning, all right? But every once in a while, I need a little water, so I bring some up and we show off the Hope Chapel stuff that we've got, right? Hey, um, I want to take just a minute and pray. Some of you probably already picked up in this headline, but... In the last 24 hours, 17 short-term volunteer missionaries who were serving in Haiti were kidnapped by some gangs in Haiti. And so they're being held for ransom right now. And I just want to take a moment and pray for them and for their safety and those kinds of scenarios, and for God's glory just to be able to show up and all of that. So let's pray for just a minute. And just just a connection with that, just on Friday night, we hosted a banquet here for Tree of Hope Haiti, which is a ministry that functions um, in Haiti and they are dependent on volunteers coming and going. So, you know, the, it's not just these 17, but if the whole safety in scenario for people to even go there begins to be reduced and less people are going, it has tremendous impact across the, across the nation. So let's pray for just a minute. God, it is great to know that because of who you are, even though there's just a few of us gathered here at 35 Choxet Road in Sterling, As we put our hearts and our minds together and pray to you, great things can happen. And Father, I'm sure we're joining with literally thousands, if not millions, of other Christians across the country and around the world today, praying for these 17 in Haiti. Uh, Father, we do pray for their protection. We pray when their eventual release comes, not a single one of them will have been harmed. And Father, certainly we mean that physically, but even emotionally and otherwise, Father, that they would just be protected in these moments My understanding is that there are several children who are a part of this process. And God, with that, we just have to pray for the whole scenario in Haiti right now. It's just a a place that in some ways is really marked by lawlessness. And there are many who are seeking to take advantage of the, the opportunity that not having any structure around them. And they're not doing it for the good of others, but for the good of themselves. And so, Father, we pray for your intervention there. And uh, Father, there are a lot of people having to make decisions this morning, and we pray for wisdom for them as they deal with just the, the whole journey of getting these people back and bringing peace and stability to an entire nation. So we pray today, Father, for you to intervene and provide as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you want to say a prayer for me, you can pray that between now and the first Sunday in November, I learn how, again, to preach 30-minute sermons instead of 45-minute sermons. Because when we go back to two services, if I preach to like 10, 20, and we've got to get everybody out and everybody in in 10 minutes, that's not going to work, right? So I've got to redevelop some habits as we go along, as we move into that next journey. You know, I will tell you that, um, that being a pastor in the same place for 20 years, has a lot of blessings that come with it. Some of you read about those in my column this past week. You know, and and as I think about it, I mean, uh, I was speaking to a, a new family here today and, and just kind of came back the whole thing that, you know, 20 years ago as we were beginning Hope Chapel. You know, I can remember that very first Sunday afternoon because we started out meeting on Sunday nights, you know, loading up our Ford Windstar van with whatever equipment we had pulled together and going down to, this, to the uh, theater at the, at the middle school here in town to set up for our very first service and wondering if anybody was going to be there. There's only like five or six people who were really committed to the journey. And and uh, and so just going there, just felt like, oh, and, and and then this morning, just sitting over here and seeing a room that's full with people just engaging with God through worship, through song and those kinds of things. It's just a marvelous thing. It's a privilege to get to watch that journey. and And I've got to see children grow up and Make a decision to become a follower of Christ and be baptized and see them emerge from college and walk with Christ and get married and all those great things. It's, it's a tremendous privilege. But on the flip side of that, there are also some challenges, if you will, some downsides or maybe too strong of a word, but there's some curses that go with that blessing. It's because over 20 years, you can also get a very clear picture of how hard it is for people to really sustain a great spiritual comeback. You know, our journey of coming back to all that God can mean to us in our in our lives never never ends while we're here. It's never like we get there and we're done, but it's something we keep moving through and and yet over my journey for of 20 years in the same place, I've I've seen people who have come in, come to know Christ and 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 they get on fire for the Lord and they're growing and they're in small groups and they're learning, they begin serving, and etc. cetera, or or they came in and God transplanted them from some other part of the country or from another church, and they plugged in and they're active and they're growing and they're so it's like, all right, man, these are the kinds of people we can build churches with. And then somewhere over a period of time, there's just a slow fade that goes on, and then after a period of time, you don't you don't see them anymore. And and, you know, everything that you can tell is, is they're not really going anywhere else. It's not like God planted them in another congregation to use their gifts. They're just kind of with the whole pressure of life and getting distracted by stuff. They just kind of go into a slow fade, as the old Casting Crown song talks about. And, and, and their spiritual comeback comes to a screeching halt. And, and it's hard to watch that. You know, and part of it, and, and, and just kind of being a little bit vulnerable, when we, when you're the pastor in the same place for 20 years, there's a blessing and a curse that goes with that even from your leadership perspective. Now, I, I think just as a as privilege of I've had, but also I think a gift that God gave to us as a spiritual community, the fact that I've been here for 20 years really helped us during the journey of the pandemic. You know, for most of you, I had a few... Few deposits in the trust account as we headed into this journey. And I may have dwindled that down a little bit, but there was a sense of trust and there was a willingness to kind of follow and etc. cetera. And that's a real gift. But on the flip side, my ability through what God says through me and, the, and what you hear from me, my ability to impact you for spiritual change and for inspiration goes down. You get familiar with my voice, with the way I put things. And after a while, it just, it just kind of, you just kind of get numb to it. And, and, and part of the struggle, and you can talk with some of our elders, some of the struggle right now is, 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 you know, one of the challenges that you have as somebody who's been in the same place for so long is how do you really continue to inspire a church family to go the second mile, to make the extra sacrifice, to take on the big risk, and not just get comfortable with a fairly full room on a Sunday morning, and it's, it's just what I want, and it's on cruise control. And there's those challenges that come in that. And, and, there, and, and all those things are relevant to what we're gonna see today in the book of Ezra. And I'd love for you to grab a Bible. And turn with me to the book of Ezra. And if, and if you're here in our, our sanctuary or, or down at, at um, Pleasant Street, and I understand they were having some connection issues this morning. I'm hoping they're online with us. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 5. And if you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your chair, it's, it, it's on page 410. Okay? And if you're looking around on your own trying to find it, you're going to find it. The Ezra and Nehemiah is kind of like right before Esther in the Psalms, and after First and Second Chronicles and those kinds of things. And and we're going to be here. And um, and what I want us to do today is, you know, the, the number one thing that I have on every Sunday morning, I want you to walk out of here understanding the text, what God has said to us, what God has provided to us. I want you to walk out of here understanding it better than you came in. So I do want to deal with the times that are going on, the, the dynamics that are going on. And, but in addition to that, I want to draw out some thoughts for us. If you and I are really going to be able to sustain the marathon kind of mindset that we need if we're really going to go through a long-term spiritual comeback. A lot of us, we, we, want, we want more of like a 100-yard dash, right? We, we don't mind starting well, running well, and finishing well if it's over in 10.1 seconds, right? But if it's 26.2 miles that takes the best in the world two hours and it takes somebody like me three days, you know, we're just like, hey, you know, that whole starting, running, and finishing well is a whole different kind of story. And, and, and we're going to learn some things that really come out of this text for us today, And and just again, as a general reminder, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is not necessarily trying to present to us chronologically the reconstruction that went on. So again, the backdrop is first the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom of Judah are sent off into exile because God had been saying to them, you're not listening to me, you're not following after me, you're not obeying me. And with that, I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm going to send you into exile to get your attention. And after a period of time, he allows the southern kingdom of Judah to return to the promised land. And they're led there by a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, and God is orchestrating some stuff among the nations to make it all possible for them to go. And when they get there, they, they set up, and, and, and there's three major elements of redevelopment or building that goes on. First is the construction of the temple. Second is the reconstruction of their life around God, spiritual reform, renewal, repentance, and adjustment of life. And lastly, they rebuild the walls of the city, which allows them really to have a sense of security as the way they live out their lives and can be a, 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 a people for, the, for God among the nations as they go forward. And we're still looking at rebuilding the temple, which really is talking about a lot of the ways that we rebuild our relationship with God. And so we've been trucking through Ezra and Nehemiah already. And some of you, if you've been following along, you got to Ezra chapter four and you got to verse um, verse uh, eight and, and seven and eight in there and, and six actually it begins. In, and you're like, what happened, right? Well, from 4.6 to 4.23, there is a flash forward of a hundred years, right? We watch movies and they do flashbacks, Right? This is a flash forward. The author who was writing some hundred years later is talking about something that was going on in their own time, which is related to the idea of, of how the continuing opposition and resistance to what God was doing among the people of God was still living itself out. And when we come to uh, verse 24 of chapter 4, we come back to the present moment that we've been reading in. Let me just read the first verse for us: 424, page 410 in your Bibles, Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. Now the construction of God's house in Jerusalem had stopped and remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. So we look at that and say, what does that mean? That's about 15 to 16 years, maybe as many as 17. So... Think about it this way, right? We started building this building in 2004, and and, sorry, 2005, and we moved in in February of 2006. And if some of you were around, you've been around long enough to know that in that very first week of construction, we held a service in here on a Wednesday night. You know, the slab was already in, and by the time we got to Wednesday night, you know, the outside walls were up, most of the trusses were on, there was some plywood on the roof, there was some partial roofs in other parts of the building, we had temporary power running around, and we had porta-potties out over the hills of gravel that were out in front of the building, and we held a service in here just to celebrate what God was doing. Imagine if we had just stopped then, and we were in the same condition. Wouldn't you love to show up for, like, a Christmas Eve service, right? And we got porta-potties out on the hills, and and there's, you know, there's no heat. There's real no electricity. There's no any. We got a little bit of power to run. In. I mean, that's, that's where they've gone. And, and mostly what happened was they got preoccupied with other things that were needed in their lives. And we're going to look at that in a minute from Haggai. But they got preoccupied with these other things. And for 17 years, because of a little resistance, because of the difficulty... Their energy just kind of wore out, and they just stopped. Now listen, we can be critical of these people, but I got to tell you, these people had already picked up their lives in Babylon, traveled 1,000 miles by foot, and went back into villages that had been torched and destroyed, and were trying to rebuild and create a life there. These people were doing a lot, but somewhere in the midst of that spiritual marathon of a comeback, they just ground to a halt much like the dynamics we experience. Let's read on. But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Yahshua, son of Josadak, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. So finally, after the 17 years, God raises up a couple guys, Haggai and Zechariah. They both have books in the Old Testament. Haggai is pretty hard to find because he's one page, right? He's two chapters, Zechariah a little longer. And, and, And they start preaching and stuff starts to happen. At that time, Tatanai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Right, so we would say, like New England, right? Well, this, the province in Babylon was the uh, sorry, Persia of the Medes was was the, the province west of the Euphrates River, right? So that's the way they looked at it. Egypt, west of the Euphrates. These two guys and their colleagues came to the Jews and asked, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish the structure? They asked, said, What are the names of the workers who are constructing this building? Right, show us your permit. And we want to see the names of the guys who were running this company, right? That's, that's where they, they come up. But God but God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop them until a report was sent to Darius so that they would receive written instructions about this matter. So these guys show up and they say, we, we want names and we want to see your paperwork. But they don't have enough boldness because God is watching over them to say, you have to cease and desist until we get back to you. So they continue to build. Follow along with me. Verse 6. This is the text of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, and, and Shaft Bozani, aren't you glad you aren't up having to pronounce these names, right? And their colleagues, the officials in the region, they sent it out to King Darius. And they gave him a report written as follows. It says, let it be known to the king that we went to the house of the great god in the province of Judah. It's being built with cut stones, and its beams are being set in the walls. This work is being done diligently and succeeding through the people's efforts. That's a good thing, right? So we questioned the elders, who gave you the order to rebuild and finish the structure. We also asked them for their names so that we could write them down, um, down the names of the leaders for your information. He said, this is the reply that they gave to us. We are the servants. Of the God of the heavens and the earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But since our fathers angered the God of the heavens, right, he handed them over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That was the exile, right, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of King Cyrus of Babylon, he issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. And then the letter goes on from there. So they, these guys show up and say, why, why are you doing this? Da, da, da. They're intimidated because Judah's kind of been a thorn in the side of a lot of things in that region in the past. So they send off, as, as a part of their fiduciary responsibility, probably as political leaders in this region, said, you know, these guys are rebuilding, and this is what they've told us, and can you check this out to see if this has any validity to it? Or So they make a search. We're going to skip over a number of verses here. They make a search, and they find a record of Cyrus saying, go back and rebuild the temple. And we pick up the story in in, in, um, chapter 6 of the book of Ezra, and I want to start with the sixth verse. So Darius now, 15 to 16 years later, after they've gotten back there, Darius searches through the files, and, you know, we we could be, whoa, I say so long. What's your filing system look like? Right? What, you, know, you need the warranty on your refrigerator. How, how likely are you going to find that, right? Some of you are very organized. These guys, they have a remote storage facility that they got to go find it at. And they finally find it, and they come back. And so Darius rereads what it says, and then in verse 6, this is what he says. Therefore, you must stay away from that place. Tatanite, governor of the region in the west of the Euphrates. said, so you and your colleagues, so the officials in the region, leave the construction of the house of God alone. Right? Let the governor and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its original site. It says, in fact, I hereby issue a decree concerning what you are to do so that the elders of the Jews can rebuild the house of God. The cost... Is to be paid in full to these men out of the royal revenues from the taxes of the region west of the Euphrates rivers so that the work will not stop. Now, this is a typical politician, Darius, right? He's like, all right, I want you to pay for it, but I don't want you to take any of the money away you're supposed to send me in the headquarters, right? So that's what he really says, right? He says, I'm, he says, and here's a check for you to pay. No, no, no. no. He says, so you're going to keep sending your taxes to us, but I want you to raise other taxes to pay for this out of your own treasury there in your province or region, right? Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, lambs, for burnt offerings to the God of the heavens, or wheat or salt, wine, and oil, is requested by the priests in Jerusalem. Let it be given to them every day without fail so that they can offer sacrifices of of a pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens and pray for the life of the king and his sons. He also goes on and says this, I also issue a decree concerning any man who interferes with the directive, right? So not only are they supposed to be supplied now, but here he puts a hedge of protection around them. He says, let a beam torn from his house and raised up, he will be impaled on it, and his house will be made into a garbage dump because of this event. Fence, may the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who dares to harm or interfere with this house of God in Jerusalem. It says, I, Darius, have issued the decree. Let it be carried out diligently. Then Tat and I, governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shethzar, Boznai, and their colleagues diligently carried out what King Darius had decreed. So let me back up and just kind of give the big picture again, and then try to dig in a little bit for us today about how to, how to really sustain a long-term spiritual comeback to God. So, so the, the people make the 1,000-mile trip. They settle in. They get the altar going. So they have a way to come and provide their gifts to God and do some worship. And then they start doing all kinds of stuff with life out of that. And, and, and for 15, 16 years, things just kind of lay dormant. And then the prophets begin speaking as God prompts them to speak. And as God speaks into these people's lives, they begin to get back on track with their spiritual comeback, if you will. They're coming back to bringing the city of Jerusalem and the worship of God back to where God is longing for it to be. And and in the midst of this, they begin to experience some opposition. Not so strong that they make them stop, but they're clearly trying to intimidate them. And what happens as they exercise faithfulness at the far end of it, not only do are they able to overcome the opposition, but they are, in, they are better resourced and better protected than they were before. Before, the only things that they had to build the temple with and the only things that they had to worship was stuff that they had. Now they've got access to everything that belongs to the empire west of the Euphrates. And besides that, you know, now, and if anybody begins to try to stop them or intimidate them or, or discourage them, that you're supposed to take a beam out of his house, set it up as a crawl and, and impale the guy. In other words, keep your hands off of them because God is protecting them. It's a marvelous thing. I mean, we, we it's an incredible thing what God does at times to protect his people. And to see them resourced and provided as they are following him in this great comeback. So, I want to grab a couple low lying pieces of fruit, and then I, for us to, to get out of this today. And then I want to try to reach for something that's way at the top of the tree. Like if you go to you know pick your own apples place, there's some great ones that are right there, and you right. But some of them you got to get on a ladder and then get the picking thing and go. Well, we're going to do both of those today. And, and a couple of ones that just stand out very quickly for us and um, is, first of all, I, one of the things you see from this scripture is that if you and I are going to be sustained, we're, we're not only going to start well, we're not only going to run well, but we're going to finish well in this marathon that is a spiritual comeback to God. The, there, is, there, there is an indispensable role that the Word of God has to play in our lives. The only thing that got these people back on track was that God spoke. He spoke through the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And, and, and you notice if, as we were reading in, in chapter 5, it said, this, they spoke in his name because he was over them. There, there, there is a sense in which you and I need to place ourselves underneath the truth of God, the Word of God, the revelation of God, if we're actually going to sustain. And I know you hear from this from me over and over and over and over again and some of you can just tune it right out, but I got to tell you the only reason I say it over and over and over and over again is because it's always true. If you want to have a vibrant, joyful, life-changing relationship with God, you cannot neglect this. You just cannot. You have to be in the Word of God. And and you need to be reading it, and then you need to progress to a place where you're studying it, and then you need to progress to a place where you can actually teach it and share it with others. It's just a part of the journey. It goes with it. And without that, you're just not in a place where you're going to sustain this long journey. And I'll offer up to you again the same little, same little uh, tool. You know, say, "Well, I read it. And I don't know why I don't get much out of it. Whatever. You know, if, if nothing else, just simply ask yourself the questions as you read a passage daily or or whatever. Is that like, what does it say? So what does it mean? Now, what am I going to do about it? And if you leave out that last part, you're not going to be sustained in your spiritual marathon of coming back. Now, what am I going to do about it? These guys, Haggai and Zechariah, they start speaking, and as they are hearing from them, right, over and over again, the leaders are saying, now what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about what God is saying to us? And after 16 years of it lying dormant, being content just to have some plywood roofs with no windows and some temporary electricity and porta-potties out in the lot, they finally get back to building. Because they listened to God. There's an indispensable role for you in the midst of that. Here's the second thing. You'll notice at the end of verse 2, it says this, the prophets of God were with them, helping them. If you are trying to do this journey without being engaged with the people of God, and I'll be very polite here, you are nuts, Right? You know, it's not like, it's not like the, you know, Zerubbabel, who's presumably the emerging king, it's not like he said, all right, we've heard from you, you can go home now, we'll take care of it from here. He said, no, 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 you know, he needs all the help he can get. The people of God have to be together. And, and there's an insp- indispensable role that other believers play in your journey and guys like I play in your journey. It's somebody who's called to share the word of God as a part of my vocation, as a part of my life journey. You know, it, it, there is a place for that. And if you're not engaged with that, you're just going to lose out. You, you need it. You need not only, you need, the, you, need them to, you need the people of God to be with you and helping you on this journey. All right. Now that we've done the kind of the, the the easy fruit, right? I want to climb the ladder and get the picking tool and go way to the top. And I want us to really look at the fine print about something because I think you and I will miss this because I know I missed it in my many readings. And yet, when you, you when you bring it over and connect it with what God was saying through the prophets, it's a powerful word for us. And I just want to point out two phrases to you from chapter five. Look at verse one. And I've already hinted this. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah, right, who were in Judah in Jerusalem, in the name of God, were prophesying in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. If you've got your own Bible out, that might be a little phrase you want to underline. Over them. You fall a little bit further down in chapter 5, right? The, the leadership shows up. And they're saying, all right, who told you you could build? And let's see your paperwork. And all right, we want to know who's in charge so we know who to hold accountable, right? And, and it says to this, this to us in verse 5, but God was watching over the Jewish leaders. Now, there's an aspect of this that you and I really, really appreciate. We, we, we are grateful. That we always have the presence of God with us, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Because I, I will feel no, because thou art with me, right? There, there is a sense that we we love that sense that God is with us, right? That God is over these people because he, He's with them. He's He's protecting the elders because He's with them. You know, we look at Romans eight and says, you know, there's Psalm one thirty nine. There's no place that we can go where we can hide from God's Spirit. He's always with us. And when God is with us, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, right? That we, you know, if if Christ is for us, who can stand against us? We love that kind of idea. And there's this sense of provision and protection that comes when we recognize that God is over us because God is with us. But there's a flip side of that that doesn't come out in the in the text, but you can see it in the book of Haggai. And I, I want to read just a few verses to, for you. If you want to turn to the book of Haggai, that's great. If you have one of the pew Bibles, you'll find our text on page 839. It is a hard little book to find tucked into the middle of all of the all of the uh, minor prophets. But if you find Zechariah, you can just back up a couple of pages and you come to Haggai chapter 1. Here, here, here's what I, let me just read these verses to us, right? Because this is all going to make sense, I hope, eventually. The Lord of armies, some of your texts will say the Lord of hosts, but the Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So they're, they're, they keep saying, they're not saying no, they're just saying not yet, not yet, right? We still have to get our fields better. I still got stumps to pull. I got rock walls to rebuild, you know, I got a well to dig. I got all kinds of other stuff. We're going to get there, but not yet, right? These people say it's not the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, my house, lies in ruins? Now, the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways. And my invitation to you this morning is to think carefully about your ways, for us to think carefully about our ways. It says, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but you never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it, right? So verse 7, the Lord of Armies says this, think carefully about your ways. Here's what is saying to them. You guys cherish the presence of God. The protection that comes from it, and the provision. But what you're ignoring is that the presence of God also brings with it the accountability of God. And and when you and 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 so in this phrase that God is over them, it is fully intended to say God's with you. He's protecting. He's etc. They land up in a stronger place with all the resources they need and that kind of stuff. But with all of that, He's also trying to say, "I'm over you." That means you are, are accountable to me. And and what we really need to be able to do is that you and I cannot separate the provision of God and the protection of God without also embracing the accountability of God. Let me give you an example from my personal journey with both of my sons, right? So my oldest son, he goes off to UMass Amherst for his first semester. And he comes home for Christmas. I drive out and I pick him up, right? So we're driving home. And I think I've told this story here before. But he, he's, he's, he's having this conversation with me. And he's delicately trying to get around. I said, Dad, I've been on campus for a whole semester now, right? For three or four months, whatever. I set my own time, talked, whatever. You, you can't give me like a curfew. All right, you've got to be home by midnight or whatever. He said, I, you know, I come and go set my own schedule. You know, and so we're driving along. And, and so I, I, I said to him, I said, you know what? That sounds, that sounds fair to me. I said, but I also said, I think I have the right to say what time my car has to be home. <laughs> right? And, and he says, touche. <laughs> he was free, but if he wanted to drive my car, right, he has some accountability to me. God's saying the same thing. God's saying the same thing. Another example. My youngest son. When he goes off to college, one of the things he says to us, says, I'm so glad I'm finally at a place I don't have to show you guys my grades. <laughs> Anybody had that experience, right? And, and, then, and I just looked at him and said, so who's paying the bill? <laughs> and he got the point. <laughs> the provision's there, but the accountability has to be there. I, I am not paying for you to go off to school to party for four years and not learn anything. Right? Because there's accountability that goes there. God said, we, we, we love the provision of God. We love the perfection of God. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's great stuff, but with it comes accountability. These guys, they, they so part of what Haggai is saying to these people is, stop living harder, start living smarter. Man, says, so you guys are planting more and more fields, and you got less and less food in your cupboards. Wake up, right? Wake up. It's all you got to do is be accountable to God. You keep saying it's not time to build. It's not time to. It's not really time to engage and come back to God. I got life to do. And when I'm finally in a position where I've kind of arrived and I'll have time for church and serving God and doing mission and those kinds of things, when I finally get there, right? When, when I get my business built or I get the addition on my house or my grass finally looks the way I want it to be or whatever it is that we have that's out there, there's accountability. That comes it. You know, put it all together. Don't live harder. Live smarter. And And I want to reinforce this with just one word, right? One word, and we see this word in in um, in in, uh, Ezra chapter five, verse eleven. So here, the the authorities show up to check out the building project, make sure the paperwork is right, and they want to know who's in charge. And, they, and so, what, so tell us your paperwork. Tell us what your authorization is. So obviously, you know, it's 15 years later. So they said, this is a the response they gave, right? Said, this is why, this is where our authority comes from. And notice how they started. It says, we are servants of God. We are servants of the God of the heavens and the earth. That if, if you and I are going to sustain this long-term spiritual comeback. We're not going to just have a 100-yard sprint where we start, run, and finish well, but we actually start, run, and finish well. The marathon of really fully coming back to God and who we are, what we do, what we think, all those kinds of things, until we get down to the end and Jesus greets us, well done, good and faithful servant. If we're going to do that, we have to have a servant's mentality. We are servants of the most Hi, God. And and there really is a huge challenge for us in that area. I'm not not singling you out over myself. It is constant battle for us to make sure that we're not simply asking, God, this is what I need you to do for me. But what really drives our heart is, God, what can I do for you today? You know, and I, I, I think about the young Samuel in the Old Testament. And I don't have time to go into all of his story, but he, he, was, he was probably the, the pinnacle. He was a prophet and the political leader of the people for a long time, transitioning them into, into a monarchy. And it all came from the fact when he was a young boy and God was speaking to him, he learned to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Or Isaiah, the powerful force that he was in the life of the people came from the fact says, here I am, Lord, send me. It, it, you know, or, and the reason why the church exploded is because people like Peter and John, the leader of it, says, "Listen, whether it's right to obey you or man, whatever," said, "We can't help but speak what we've seen and heard." They they, 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 they knew they needed to talk about what God. Kind of, they had servant hearts, and there's a just a powerful word in there. If you if you're struggling to maintain momentum in your spiritual journey, look at your servant heart. Because I believe it's a servant heart that most closely holds together the presence, the provision, and the accountability that we have to the God who is over us and with us. Does that make sense? You know, and and, and it's a powerful word for us. Uh, Little words, the God who was over them, the God who was over the elders, Tremendous insight. If you and I want to be the people who finish this journey well, we have to be people who know that we are accountable to God, even as he provides for us and protects us. And that will come by us learning how to say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. I'm going to ask for our worship team just to stay seated for a minute for me to offer just a moment of prayer. My prayer all week before we got to the service this morning was that God would say something to you. I want you to take just a minute and and just lock that away at the forefront of your memory. Say, this is something I need to think and pray and work through this week. What is that for you today?